When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it's Albert. We got a fantastic show coming for you this week. Gresh is in for the takeaways. We've got an awesome guest to talk about Antonio Brown, about Le'Veon Bell, of so many NFL things. Great insight there. Fabs is back with his DFS and fantasy picks for week eight. As we always do, we'll get to all of your questions in the six pack. Let's go. All right, welcome back in. We're almost halfway through the season now. The trade deadline is less than a week away. Week 8 begins uh, in a little more than 24 hours. It's the Albert Breer Show. Um, We've got a ton to get to, and we've got a great guest coming for you. Um, A guy I've been meaning to have on for for a while. We'll get you all your fantasy and DFS stuff with Fabs. We'll get to your questions in the six-pack, but... We're going to start, as we always do, with the takeaways, and that means bringing my friend Andy Gresh in. You see, I didn't call you Andrew Gresh the third this time, Gresh, because you fixed your tag yep. na- your tag on, on, on the old Zoom machine there. Yeah, yeah. I'm back to just the last name, like Cher, Madonna, Flair, all works. So you drop so you drop your first name instead because I think like the European soccer players drop their last name, right? I would never be compared to a European soccer player, and that's exactly <laughs> why I did it. I'm okay, not, I'm not into communist football. I'm uh, into American football. <laughs> um, all right, we'll start my first takeaway. We'll, we'll, we'll go as about as American football as it gets with the Dallas Cowboys, <laughs> and um, you know what? You know what, Crash? Here's the thing. Um, I like I. Look, I'm willing to. I like if if I'm assessing the Cowboys, I'm willing to accept like a seven and nine season this year. They lost Tyron Smith. They lost Travis Frederick. He retired. They lost Lyle Collins. That offensive line's been the identity of the team forever. It's in shambles. They don't have Dak Prescott. That's huge. Um, you know, like so. Look, I'm. I'd be willing to. I'd be willing to accept like seven and nine, eight and eight. It's just not their year. Things broke the wrong way. What? It, that's it, right? That makes sense. That that's fine. Mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing right now is different than that. I think what we're seeing right now, like, because, like, like, I think what we're seeing right now is an organization that's really sideways, a locker room that's not connecting with its with its head coach or his staff, and the effort issues that you continue to see, and against a bad Washington team. And I think the guys there, if they were honest about it, the, the, the staff there, they know they've got a way to go ways to go. Like that, that Washington's in a totally different spot because they're in a, they're, they're in like kind of like the, the ground floor of a rebuild right now. The Cowboys are supposed to be winning right now. Like the Cowboys have a core that they have paid go down Jalen Smith, Demarcus Lawrence, again, your Zach Martins, your Tyron Smith, your Amari Coopers, um, obviously Dak, Zeke Elliott, like they've got a core of players that are in the prime of their careers. They are in what they consider a championship window. And it is a, it is alarming to me not to see that they aren't as good as we expected. Cause again, I think you can chalk that up to the injuries. It's alarming to me seeing the effort. It's alarming to me seeing 
every single week to go like like you bad start and then the the snowball starts to pick up steam and before you get down to the, the before you get to the bottom of the hill at the end of the game it's an avalanche and it really feels like after the Dak injury cuz Dak it felt like Dak continued to pull them out of ditches at the end of, at the beginning of the year like now what we're finding out is that that team that was like getting itself in those holes at the start like that was real and it was just Dak was able through superhuman effort was able to bring these pull these guys out of those ditches and now they don't have that anymore it's i mean it's who they are and so i don't know man like i'm not i'm usually not an advocate for going one and done on coaches i think you got to give them time but the thing about this one to me is the reason why you hired Mike McCarthy is because he felt like you were in a win now spot right and if you look at the other coaches that they kicked the tires on Ron Rivera was one of them um, Marvin Lewis was another they were experienced head coaches their whole thing was we can't take a chance on a coordinator. We can't take a chance on a college coach because we feel like we have to win right now. If you aren't getting the immediate results that you wanted, which was like part of the job description, right? Like when you were when you were going and looking for a head coach, where's the light at the end of the tunnel here? And so I think there's like I I I, I just think there needs to be like on the part of the Jones family a top to bottom just look at where they are organizationally and then maybe there are some really tough decisions they're going to have to make. Well, uh, I wonder if Jerry Jones sees the world from down below because he's so high and he's at the top of the organization and there's no one there who can look at him and be like, dude, you're a part of the problem here because it's ultimately on the owner slash the general manager to have an idea as to what their locker room makeup is so that you bring in the right coach. Not that it's, it's perceived that you brought in a coach who won't look at you and tell you you're wrong. Like when I see how Ron Rivera is handling the situation in Washington, I don't think Jerry Jones as an owner could deal with someone who'd look him in the face and be like, no, dude, like you really shouldn't do it that way, which is what that guy is doing with Dan Snyder in the giant mess down there in Washington. So we continue to go back to the top and to ownership and the GM, and it's just more mistakes that are made there and not knowing for sure that McCarthy would be able to walk in the door and affect those guys to your point, Bird. They needed to win. Like that was the objective was to find someone who could push them literally over the goal line. And instead, not only is it going to go backwards, but the one guy that gave them a reason to believe in Dak Prescott isn't there anymore. And I yeah. think it's a really good point. It's going to ultimately tie into my number one takeaway when we get to it as well. Because you got to believe like there's got to be something there that makes those players say this guy can help us or we'll find our way out of it because our defense is this or hey man our quarterback's down but we could turn around and hand the ball to Dak Prescott and it doesn't feel like there's any of that going on in Dallas right now. Yeah and I you know like it's it, like it, I think it, like you have to like, like and that's part of it is that like so You've got Zeke Elliott on a second contract. You've got Jalen Smith on a second contract. You got Demarcus Lawrence on a second contract. You got Amari Cooper on a second contract. You're going to be negotiating one of those with Dak Prescott, Zach Martin, Tyron Smith. If you're going to start to look at this from like a 2021 context, 
you have to act with the same urgency if you're going to keep that core together. And that to me makes you means you've got to make a very like you you've got to make a very conscious you got to like just make a very tough decision on whether or not you believe Mike McCarthy is going to be able to win that team over um, when we get to April and when we get to May and we get to June and when they're reconvening for next year. And based on what we're seeing right now, like are those guys going to buy in? No. Are those guys like and that's the thing. Like that's the thing. Like so like like if they if, if you don't believe they're going to do that, I think you almost have to move you owe it to yourself to move on, right? Mm-hmm. And God, like and I like Mike McCarthy, but it doesn't like like what's going on in Green Bay right now doesn't make him look good either. Right? Like Aaron yeah. Rodgers is playing great football now, right? Yeah. And, and like and, and and they look like they're together as a team and Matt LaFleur has done a really I mean so like I get like like McCarthy accomplished a lot in Green Bay, but you look at like now kind of how the atmosphere in Green Bay has changed a bunch, and you look at what the atmosphere is in Dallas, and I just I don't know, man. Like it's at some point, like I think, and and contrary to popular belief, like their track record, like Jones's track record, is to be patient. Like they don't they 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 they've never fired a coach after one year. There's only one coach, and that was Chan Gailey that didn't make it to three years. So they've given every guy rope. Wade Phillips and Jason Garrett, I think a lot of people thought those, those guys got too much rope. So like, I think that there's going to have to be a point where Jerry's going to have to make an evaluation and say, like, look, like I might have gotten this thing wrong. And if I got this thing wrong, there's too much. There's too much. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. But but there's too much on the line with the amount of money that he's spent on the rest of that roster and the amount he's invested in the core that they put together. Like there's just too much on the line to go forward with somebody that the players don't believe in. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm sure it's great that Jerry is now sitting around having some of the toughest conversations he's had with the media people who don't exactly step on his neck anyway. You know what? Let me ask you. I, I want to ask you one question. Actually. Yeah, yeah. I hate to cut you off there. All right. What did you think of the What did you think of the Cowboys not reacting to, to Andy Dalton? Because you played at a pretty high level. What do you think of like the Cowboys not reacting to Andy Dalton getting lit up that way? Honestly, I I, I think a little bit of it is uh, the hit itself. Yeah, like it wasn't you know a clothesline from like a you know what I mean. It wasn't like a clothesline. It wasn't a direct shot to the head per se. When I first saw it. I thought, ooh, that was a tough hit. I didn't think, oh, dirty. targeted and went to. So I think because the hit wasn't dirty, there isn't the natural reaction. Like when you're done blocking on the play and you see the Daltons down, I'm sure there were a bunch of guys on that offense who were trying to do their job in that moment who looked around and were like, hey, man, what happened? And then you look up on the scoreboard, and by then it's a minute past the hit. It wasn't right. like it was dirty on the sidelines to where a ton of people could react to it. So I understand the visceral reaction from people that it's, oh, go defend your guy. But it was within the context of a play. And unless right. you were right there and saw it, I don't think you would have react to it. And by the way, Bostic didn't stand over him. He didn't yeah. showboat. That guy turned around and kind of got the hell out of there because I think in, in his heart of hearts, Bert, he I think knew. He's, he, well, he knew. He, he knew but it wasn't, oh, my God, I intentionally did it. Let me stand over you and stare. It was, oh, I hit the guy, and he might be hurt, and he was professional. I'm going to, like, yeah, like, I'm going to be, like, like I'm going to handle this the right way. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think there are some mitigating circumstances there. 
But getting back to the Cowboys, and, and just quickly here, and you'd mentioned about Jerry Jones and stuff like that. It's amazing to me that Jerry Jones watched Jimmy Johnson 30 years ago put together a football team that was talented. Jerry Jones puts talented people together and hopes they become a football team, and that's why they're failing. Now, to Fair me, point. To me, it's pretty simple. Well, and that was why, yeah. I mean, like when I back way back when I covered the team, I remember the whole you know idea was I want the head coach to take care of one side of the ball. So they hired Wade to take care of the defense, Jason to take care of the offense, and I don't know. I just think like that place really needs a program leader. <laughs> you know, like what Jimmy was a program leader. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And, and, and like that's somebody, yeah, they need. That's somebody. why I sort of continue to come back to their fascination, the Jones family fascination with Lincoln Riley, because I think he can sort of be both. Uh, Bert, my number one takeaway uh, ties in a little bit. You got to believe. You got to believe if you're a football team. You got to believe that you've got somebody who can help you pull the nose up. You got to believe that there's somebody with three minutes to go and you're down nine that you can come back or that you're down 28 to three in the Super Bowl and you'll find a way to make plays and come back. That was the New England Patriots. And what I saw on Saturday out of the New England Patriots really makes me think that there is little to no chance that they're going to pull the nose up after their embarrassing performance against the San Francisco 49ers. And, Bert, I saw something that in 20 years of being around the Bill Belichick-led Patriots, I've seen very few times, if ever. There was no fight there was no one trying to light a spark. There was a quarterback sitting on the sideline, shaking his head, looking down. Let me look at my feet. Let me let me let me readjust myself while I put my Gatorade towel over my head. And let me make sure I tuck it in. And I uh, just threw an interception, but let me get my towel right. And there's nobody on the offense that's coming over and saying, "Hey, champ, you'll be okay." And that's the same guy, Cam Newton, who ain't getting up and ripping people, uh, a new one, on the sideline. Bert, there was no spark. There was no life. There was no rallying cry. And right now, the quarterback has cranius rectus. And the offense has cranius rectus. And that ain't hard to figure out for those of you who do or don't understand that analogy. It just looked to me like this Patriots football team was lost and their only hope is that their offensive line gets back to running the ball so that they can then work play action and have some semblance of an offense yep. or they run cam newton 25 times a game and put him at peril and that was the thing like to me like that kind of stuck out about it was like what they were against miami and i think sort of like you know i think what they were against miami in week one set up who they could be against seattle I believe that was week two, right? Building, and, building, building. Right. And so, like, I think part of it is, like, are you trying to be what Cam sort of dictates you should be? Or are you trying to do what you've always done? And I think that, like, on Sunday, it sort of struck me. That was one thing that struck me was, like, it kind of felt like they were trying to go back to what they've always been. And Cam's not a fit for that. Nope. Like, and I, I didn't think that Josh and Bill would do that. And I think that they really have to go back and look at the idea, unless Cam's hurt, unless there's something wrong that we don't know about, Like I think they do have to go back and look at the idea of, 
we need to be different offensively, like if we're going to make this work. It you know the bigger like, thing. Yeah. I was just going to say real quick. It felt like that when it started to get down to two and the rent was due, so to speak. Yeah. It went back to what they knew and what yep. they thought would work. A little bit like in Tampa, we're now seeing more of the Brady plays sprinkled in there, to where Brady can get to a fourth or fifth read as Peyton Manning detailed, and then throw the ball in the back corner of the end zone because he knows exactly where he's going with it. This looked like a group that had zero answers. Yep. And for the coach, it's natural for him to say, okay, this is what we've done in the past. This is what I think will work. And you don't have the guy to execute. So here's what stuck out to me more than all of that, though, on Sunday. Did the Niners not look a little bit like the Patriots? Did it not look like, did it not look like their roles reversed? Like, let's not sit here and pretend the Niners haven't been through a lot. Jimmy Garoppolo is still not 100%. Fair. Lots of questions being asked about him. They lost their best player for the season, Nick Bosa. They lost another valuable piece of their offensive lineman, a former second overall pick himself or third overall pick himself in Solomon Thomas. They've been playing the whole year without Richard Sherman. Their receivers have been in and out, in the, out of the lineup. They've had injuries in the offensive line. They've had injuries in the backfield. They didn't have their starting tailback on, on Sunday. Who was the team that was well coached? Who was the team that was resourceful? Who was the team that was efficient? Yep. Who was the program that looked like they could withstand whatever comes their way now? Mm -hmm. Like that stuck out to me. And it was interesting because I talked to Jimmy after the game and I said, are there, are there just sort of elements now of what you guys have here that really are like, like it feels like it did in new England. And he said, you know, now that you bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like that they're, that they're able to withstand certain things because they're very well coached because they're efficient. And I thought it was so interesting because it was like I like the first of my first piece of this was the Patriots have been able to mitigate any problems, injuries, missed draft picks, talent deficiencies, whatever it is over the years through superior coaching and superior quarterbacking. The superior quarterbacking was gone on Sunday, right? And then you had a coach coming in who is your peer. Mm -hmm. Like Kyle Shanahan, I'm not saying he's Bill Belichick. All I'm saying is like he ain't coming in there intimidated. Mm -hmm. Like he ain't coming in there thinking he's getting out coached, right? Like like I think a lot of guys deep down would feel. And so that stuck out to me, Grash, was like the Niners came in there and the Niners looked like the Patriots. And and not just and, and not like just being out like not not just being in a, like a, like 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 in the way they played, but how much they were able to withstand. We used to be able to sit here and say the Patriots can morph into what they want to. They're almost like a transformer. Yeah. Right. They can morph into what they need to, and they'd find a way to be able to get the job done. Those days are gone now. And I really wonder if that team has enough leadership. And, and I say that not dogging out the McCourty brothers or Matt Slater or any of the long tenured Patriots who've been there. But who's going to grab that football team by the throat? Who's going to get them to believe? And the problem is they would have to turn to offensive linemen to do that on offense. And with a personality as strong as Cam Newton, a guy like Joe Tooney ain't going to assert himself like that. And right now, Julian Edelman isn't himself. So you can't rely on him offensively. It, it doesn't look good well, because look I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think they believe. And, and I'll, I'll end it with this. Well, who is let me, let me, let me bring the, who is Mustafa in that locker room over the last few years on offense and defense? I mean, it's I, Tom Brady yeah. on offense and probably Dante Hightower on defense, yeah. right? 
like, like, like as far as just the baddest man in the room, yeah. right? Like, 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 and I, McCourty's a great leader. Slater's a great leader. I'm not saying they don't have leadership, but who is like the badass in there? And, right? and to take it a step further, those are the two guys. Like I joked about the Atlanta comeback, but yeah. who are the two guys that spearheaded that comeback? Tom Brady and Dante Hightower. To your point, right? Okay. My second takeaway. You know, there was a very unpopular hire um, that happened 22, 22 months ago. This guy had just gotten fired by a college program. People didn't think he had coached worth a lick. And, um, you know, I, I think the, 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 the immediate, the, the, the instant reaction to it was, well, you know, it's just a, a young, good-looking guy who, you know, is going to help them win the press conference. Cliff Kingsbury has kicked ass in his first two years. And I'll tell you what, like as far as what you're looking for a co- in a coach in this day and age, right? Developing his quarterback, running a creative, fun offense, getting buy-in from all the 20-somethings in your locker room, and building a program that seems like it's an, on an upward proje- trajectory. He has checked off every one of those bosses, boxes. And so... I got to give Michael Bidwell, the owner, Steve Kine, the general manager, credit here because I think it's such a good example of how you can't follow narratives when you hire a coach, right? Like, I think too often it's just, well, how can we justify this? Well, he had the number one defense in the league. He had the number one offense in the league. So as if, like, that's just going to translate right over, right? When there's so much more that goes into it, and I think a huge part of it, Gresh, is conviction, right? It's conviction. It's knowing the good, the dude, and that was part of it for Steve Kime, as he knew Cliff Kingsbury from having you know been on the college scouting trail forever. But it's knowing the dude. It's understanding like how you know he'll handle being in front of the room. Um, it's so many things before you even get to the idea, and it's the same thing we were talking about with McCarthy. It's it's it's, it's calling. It's so much more than calling a game. And um, you know, you look at some of the most successful coaches in the, in the league now. Pete Carroll, when he got hired, what was it? Oh, he's a rah-rah college coach. It's not going to work. Bill Belichick, no personality, right? That guy is strictly a defensive coordinator. Mike Tomlin, only one year as a defensive coordinator in Minnesota. He's a secondary coach. What the hell are they doing, right? And I, I just think it's such a good example of how when you're going into one of these processes to hire a head coach, there's just there's no formula for it. And so much of it has to be based on conviction and what you see in the person. And not just the results that he's been a part of, but it's like what what was his where, wherever he was, like what was like like what were the challenges he was facing? You know, Cliff faced a lot of challenges at Texas Tech. What was he able to get accomplished? Well, Cliff did develop quarterbacks there, right? Like the defense was never right, right? But what kind of personality does he have? How does he relate to people? And so I just think I think there's a great lesson in this, in that every team that goes into the hiring process in December and January, don't come up with a list where you're saying this is our number one guy and we need to go get him. Um, don't like, like go in with an open mind and and don't worry about winning the press conference and don't worry about how it's going to go over with people. Go into it thinking like. We just need to find the best person, period. And I think that's what Arizona did. And look, like it was an unpopular hire at the time, 
I don't know how you can how you can how you can argue with it now though. Like our evidence right now, that is the toughest division in football, and the Arizona Cardinals, who were god awful, had the first overall pick when he got there, are right in the mix. They they are, and I like Kingsbury. I do wonder if he is. Um, I wonder if he's a complete coach though. Okay, because we even heard Nick Saban say. Hey man, you're not winning on defense anymore. You're winning on offense. Okay, I can I can buy that from someone like Saban. And that game in college is way more tilted than it is in in the pros. But look, if Seattle manages the game properly, they're four and three, and their losses would have been to Seattle, the Lions, and hang on, and uh, and the Panthers. So we'd be sitting there saying, yeah, he's doing a pretty good job, but they look great offensively. There's a little recency bias going on. I think on the whole, they got it right for an organization that has been really good at getting it wrong on a massive level. Like you blow a top 10 pick, you get rid of your coach in a year and all that stuff. And I do think I, I, I do agree with you in that he's much more the modern day guy that connects with those players, but can he develop the other skills that are going to be needed to become a great head coach at that level, knowing the rule book inside and out, how many games are won and lost by yeah. coaches who, who do and don't know the rule. Right. I'm not saying he doesn't know the rules, but as he moves along, I'm hoping that we see that because I'm rooting for Kingsbury because he is an interesting guy. He does. He's a great think, offensive mind. Right. And, and to the point, it looks like they have somebody that matches with the quarterback and the leadership should develop out of that. I just think it's like a good example of like, just don't be formulaic when it comes to this stuff. Like if they had been formula, if, if, if the Titans had been formulaic, Mike Vrabel never would have gotten hired. Right? Steelers with Mike Tomlin years ago. It right. was, wow, the guy was coming in and then it was, oh my God, this is our guy. We got to hire him. Right. And like, so like, I just think it's just, it's too much like, like so much of this is about, personality, leadership, all that. Like, and so I just, I'm not saying like Cliff's going to be there for 15 years. I don't know. You know, right, right. I mean, it's impossible to say that it's way too early. All I'm saying is that you are getting really good results 21 months in. Right. And that was a place that was dead before. And so I just think it's just a great example of how, if you think a little outside the box, then maybe you wind up finding a long-term answer and even the Patriots with Belichick I mean it is not like Bill Belichick's door was getting I mean the Jets wanted to promote him and the Patriots I mean Robert Kraft loved the guy so credit to credit to Kraft for that I still uh, but, him. but it's not like but it's not like there was it's not like there was this line out the door to hire Bill Belichick then fair no no, no doubt about it uh, Bert, my takeaway number two is we have a very odd statistical anomaly that might tell us a lot about a couple of teams in the NFL. And one I know is one that's close to your heart because you and I battled for years over the <laughs> Buffalo Bills and their relevancy and how good they really are. But they actually fit into this. This is, I do believe if I heard this stat right, this is the first time in the Super Bowl era that we have three teams in the NFL who have five wins and all three of them have negative point differential. Now for those listening to the pod who don't understand point differential, it is the 
uh, the red or the black in terms of if you're winning football games, but you're giving up more points than you scored or you're scoring more points than you've allowed. The Buffalo Bills are five and two. They are minus four <laughs> in terms of point differential. The Cleveland Browns are five and two. They are minus 21 in point differential. And then in the NFC, the Chicago Bears, they're minus two in point differential and they're five and two. Now you say, well, you know, you have one bad game on your one score blows up on you, you know, whatever it is, you get blown out and that number can get tilted. First time in the Super Bowl era that yeah. this has happened this late in the season. And the question is, is this a sign that these teams are flawed, but yet good enough this year to beat up on an AFC in a 2020 that has been completely haywire from start to finish? Or is this just the rare statistical anomaly and all these teams are going to go to the playoffs and have a chance to be successful? Well, when I saw that, when I saw the stat, the first thing I thought of was just sort of you know, like how sideways this year has been to begin with, um, how we've seen kind of the weird blowouts here and then this game's close there and the uh, and the scoring's been off the charts. And so I sort of wonder if we're going to come out of this year with a bunch of statistical anomalies, you know, like where, um, you know, like teams hit rough patches for weird and unexplained reasons. And like we see it with, you know, like Tennessee, like you wonder if like they – after everything they've been through, maybe at the end of that Steeler game, like, like like they came in a little gassed and then they ran out of gas at the end. You know, like it's just there are certain things that are happening now that aren't normal, you know, and that, you know, hopefully nobody's ever going to have to deal with again where, you know, you've got these teams that are winning on the margins that are like, like I think Chicago was a team that was winning on the margins. And, you know, like then there's going to be a week or two where it's not going to happen and they're going to look really flat, right? Like, so I, I just think that there's going to be a lot of that this year. Now, as for those three teams, which one do you think is most for real? Uh, uh, of those three, I I'm mean, backing you into a corner no, here. You are, and the, and the no, answer is obvious. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say out of those three, it is Buffalo. But, you know, again, you know, Who wins the AFC East? apparently someone out there has a three-legged table. I, you know what? In all seriousness, let's see what happens after this weekend. Because if New England beats Buffalo, it's not so much that New England would win the division, but it would pull Buffalo and Miami closer to each other. And Miami at three and three, the the results haven't shown yet. And I know they're about to go to Tua, but you could tell that football team is much better. Look, I know New England's down, but you ain't gonna get me to trust Buffalo. Because uh, yeah, the number again five and two negative point differential. So quarterback I, very raw, inconsistent team, all that stuff. It's not just my hatred for Buffalo. It's the whole they might win ten, but get run in the first round. I think Buffalo's like, I, I just think like I wonder what Buffalo if like part of their growth is what they went through the last couple of weeks. They didn't look great against Tennessee. Their schedule got sent sideways sure, they didn't sure. look very good against kansas city they hung in there against the chiefs they i did. thought that that was good like like even though they didn't have their a game so i do think there was like a little positive to take from there uh and i, I think against the jets it was sort of i mean like look like they've got some situational issues you know like they 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 
they had a they they against the Jets they had a uh, a red zone issue against the um, against the Chiefs they had a third down issue like these things like sort of start to crop up with them um, and you wonder if maybe going through this is going to help them long term as part of their growth and everything else I do think Josh Allen's gotten better and I know like it's easy to ch- kind of jump off of that bandwagon right now but I do think that he's he's gotten better and so. I think Buffalo is the team that's a contender right now. I think Chicago is the team that's sort of like just hanging on. And if they can't fix their offensive line, they're in, they're in deep crap. <laughs> and then I think Cleveland's a team that – I think Cleveland's a team that's showing a lot of signs that in a year or two they could be really good. Like, And I actually think – like this is going to sound crazy. Oh, I actually think like the Odell injury could help Baker. No, I would agree because it forced him to diversify his thought. And I think, and I here's why. Here, here's why. This is going off on a tangent. We'll get to my third takeaway in a second. But like to me, it reminded me like watching him play on Sunday. It reminded me of Brady after they traded Moss in 2010. And I don't know how well you remember that crash, but he was sort of like he was good, not great the first month of the season. Then there was the blow up between Moss and Bill O'Brien in the locker room at the halftime of the Miami game. They trade Moss that week. And then they, if you remember, they dealt for Dion Branch and they brought Dion Branch back. And then all of a sudden you looked at it and it's like, okay, they've got Gronkowski, Hernandez, Welker, Branch. I think Danny Woodhead was on the team at the time. And it was just like this group that was very, it was a lot of good players and not great players, right? And Gronk wasn't great yet. Gronk was rookie Gronk, right? And it like sort of a la- it freed Brady up to play point guard, you know, where it was like, okay, boom, 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 boom. Like I'm gonna go to him five times this week, then I'm gonna go to him that five times next week. And I sort of wonder if that's gonna happen with Baker now because they do have a lot of good players. Landry's a good player, Hooper's a good player, Harrison Bryant, their rookie tight ends playing really well. Uh, you know, Hollywood Higgins played well when he came in. They've got good backs, obviously. You know, they'll get Chubb back. They've got Kareem Hunt. So, like, I sort of wonder if maybe it has that effect on Baker because that's what Lincoln Riley had Baker doing at at Oklahoma. All they got to do is listen to OJ. Run Nick Chubb, and they'll be fine. Okay, my third takeaway. I think the quarterback position is in in as healthy a spot as it's been in a long time. Gresh, the last five drafts, okay? This is going back. We know what happened with Winston and Mariota in 15. The five drafts after that. Goff. Wentz, Lynch, Trubisky, Mahomes, Watson, Mayfield, Darnold, Allen, Rosen, Lamar, Kyler, Jones, Haskins, Burrow, Tua, Herbert. Wow. How many like busts are there there? Haskins is like looking that way, right? Yeah. Rosen is there. Yep. Lynch obviously is there. Trubisky is right about there. So that's four guys, right? Out Darnold. of, and I'm counting it up now. Darnold, three, see on the way. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But what, but, but, so I'm looking at it now, right? So 11, 14. Okay. So that's 17 guys. So we're talking about like right now, if it's like, let, let's, let's just say there's going to be at least one or two more that'll be busts, right? Like that's a fair okay. thing to say, right? Yep. At least one or two more. You're still then at like 11 out of 17, which is right? really high that, that make it. Yeah. That make it. And so I just think like looking at this and then looking at what we're seeing in the college level now with how Trevor Lawrence is playing with how Justin Fields is playing 
with how I think Trey Lance can play. He's obviously not getting the chance to because he's at North Dakota State. I think the quarterback position is in, is in as healthy a spot as it's ever been. And I think we're like in a golden age right now. And it's probably a result of the way the game is being played, the way these guys, I mean, these guys are being brought up like golfers now. You know what I mean? Like their personal coaches and everything else. Yep. But but I think it's, I think the quarterback position is in an incredibly healthy spot. And there's no better evidence than with what Joe Burrow is doing in Cincinnati, with what Justin Herbert's doing in LA behind really shoddy offensive lines. And we may see even more of it this weekend with Tua. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good point. And yes, a lot of it is sort of college football and the fact that there are so many concepts now that are uh, spilling over. Sorry. <laughs> that are translating over from that level. And it's not just, you know, Division One, like we've seen Carson Wentz, a one double A player or FCS, whatever they want to call it, come in and, and play the position and play it really really well i know there's you know the jury's still out on whether he's improving or not and that's what will be interesting in watching these guys bert because you know brady came out of nowhere but yet peyton manning was anointed to be great and both of those guys came the standard bearer for the position for a long period of time how many of these guys are going to be good players who have long nfl careers but they turn out more like philip rivers than they do Tom Brady. Who are those guys that are going to separate? Right. Are we just going to have a bunch of guys that can play the position really well across the board and be worthy of winning anywhere between 8 to 11 games a year? Or do we have eventually guys that develop and elevate themselves and separate from the pack. That's my big question. Well, we have quarterbacks that will come in in packs and all be the same, and you got to find ways around them to make them all better, or will some of these guys start to emerge okay. and really separate? So we think Mahomes is there, right? Like, So I think Mahomes is the one guy of the 17 that I named that's already there. I think Lamar's got the ability to get there. I think Josh Allen's got the ability to potentially get there. I, like I, I like Baker. Like I, I don't know at this point. And I, I think Joe Burrow. Like honestly, like based on what he's dealing with in Cincinnati, he looks. Like, awesome. I, I mean, like I think he's got. Like yeah. I think I, I think that guy is a dude. Like I think like you look at him and there are so many things. Like he's already elevating guys. Agreed. Yep, you know, so, so and and you could see it in the moxie and the way that he deals with his teammates. Like he scored that rushing touchdown, and he said to one of the fat guys, "He's like, go ahead," but he didn't hang around to celebrate with him. He was like, "You go ahead and do it." He turned around, and walked off the field. I'm like, that's awesome because I'm sick of seeing every freaking defense in the NFL. Oh my God, we got a turnover at the other one yard line. Well, the mugging cameras the other side. So let's have the whole defense runner run down the other end. And everybody standing there posing and doing their pictures. Yo, man, I was on the field when this dude made a great play. Let me flex you. Like, seriously, uh, right. I'm I got, I, of I that got, crap. I got a great story that I'll, I'll really quick. Like, so they were the, 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 the Bengals were playing against the Eagles a few weeks ago. And um, so, like, if you go back and you listen to the actual tape, right? Like, you go back and you can pull it up on game pass. It's easy to hear it. There's a play in the fourth quarter where Joe Burrow just escapes, like gets by three guys, right? And you can hear Zach Taylor yelling at the top of his lungs, throw it away, throw it away, throw it away. You hear him say it three times at the top of his lungs. It's audible on the broadcast, right? 
and Joe Burrow runs towards the sideline and just flicks it like 15 yards downfield and like T Higgins catches the ball toe drag in you know and first down and Zach Taylor told me that Joe turned around looked at him started laughing and ran back and and ran to the huddle and to me like that was just like all right like see that's like that's real swagger. Swagger isn't like what you're, what you're talking about, running to the other end of the field and mugging for the camp. That's not swagger. No. Swagger is like looking back at your coach and laughing at him after you just pulled off a play that he was yelling at you at the top of his lungs not to try to pull off. So that goes to show that he could hear it and was still processing information in the middle of the play and still made a great throw for Higgins to toe tap and make the catch. I mean, that's... That's the stuff of legend. Uh, Bird, I know we're up against it here, but yep. look, man. <sighs> My third takeaway is I'm already resigning myself to the fact that when we reconvene on Wednesday, there will be no earth-shaking moves in the NFL. Unlike yeah. every other trade deadline. Well, the good news is our democracy will be in like like in a, in a full well, place, let's see. dumpster fire. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, we it might be Mississippi burning for us <laughs> yeah. if we're trying to do this podcast next week. But in, uh, but relative to our NFL world, uh, I, I I'm hoping for big. I want some teams to show some balls. I want a first round pick traded for somebody big to try to tilt the field. I want teams to get creative. You know, the salary cap's going to be a big issue next year. Some teams might be looking to liquidate. This is where the Patriots maybe come in. They go to Buffalo or they lose to Buffalo and they might look to trade some of the guys that they're like, all right, let's stockpile a little bit. Let's move on from some people because they eventually have to do a deeper roster rebuild. But Bert, I just, I'm praying, I'm hoping that we're going to have excitement to talk about, but on the whole, I'm just ready yeah. myself for disappointment that when we get to four o'clock next Tuesday, it'll be, well, no important NFL trades. Wow. Let's see how the country's burning down. Yeah, and I think it's like so. I, you know, I think the COVID thing is sort of probably. It, it's interesting because I do think there are sellers out there because the COVID thing is creating the revenue shortfall. The revenue shortfall is going to create a lower salary cap next year, and I think because of that, you are going to see some teams that are going to have to dump. Like some teams you wouldn't expect to be sellers. Philadelphia, Minnesota are sellers now, so it'll be interesting to see if you know a Philly winds up. I like finding a home for Alshon Jeffrey. Like if Minnesota winds up sending Kyle Rudolph to a contender. So I think there are some things like that that could happen. But as for the big ticket move, like I don't know that there's like a Jalen Ramsey or an Amari Cooper out there this year. And that would be uh, very disappointing if there isn't. All right. Well, Gresh, always appreciate you coming out. We will no longer call him Trip. Remember, I, his right. name is his, his name tag on the on the old Zoom has has been fixed. Crash, appreciate you coming out all the time, friend. I love it. Thank you. And we will get to our special guest right after this. All right, we're gonna bring in a guy who um, I go I go a ways back with, and I've actually like been meaning to get him on for a while. Um, one of my one of my favorite guys that, that that I've worked with over the 15 years that I've covered uh, the NFL and, and and a guy I'm sure everybody out there is familiar with former Chiefs coach former Steelers offensive coordinator former Cardinals offensive coordinator Todd Haley Todd I hope I didn't miss anything there <laughs> no you did. that was a great uh, introduction Albert good to okay, be so, here good to see you 
Yeah, good to see you too. So why don't you fill everybody in um, on what you've been up to um, since you got out the last couple of years? Yeah, we moved down to Florida, our favorite spot, Siesta Key. We're on the golf. Uh, I can go out every night and throw the fishing uh, rod in the water and, and catch fish. So it's uh, it, that's been a great, great for the family. Uh, just really, you know, 26, seven years straight of, you know, seven days a week uh, in the NFL for as long as I was going. I mean, I got five kids. We still got three at home. So I've uh, been able to go to a lot of flag football games, soccer games, golf matches. Uh, just really, it's been great being a dad, uh, you know, after a long streak of uh, missing out on a lot of the, the kids' stuff and, and family stuff. But uh, uh, a buddy of mine down here got me involved with Riverview High School, kind of been a powerhouse, had a, had a number of guys go to the NFL, um, and they asked me to be their offensive coordinator. So it's been a completely different world <laughs> uh, from the hash marks on up, uh, you know, and <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the head coach and have to deal with any of the parents, but uh, we got a good group of kids. We're five and one. We got a big game this week, and the and the playoffs are coming up here in a couple weeks. But it's been it's been really great for me, uh, you know, just being around young kids and 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 what a, a positive impression and influence you can be for kids at this you know at that 16, 15, 17 year old age that love football are out there every day working. Um, you know, for me to be able to pass on some knowledge to them. And, uh, you know, we had Kurt Warner on a, a, a couple times on Zoom uh, <laughs> over the summer with with a, a, my quarterback and, and a bunch of the coaches and players. And, and I just look at it, step away, and I'm like, can you imagine being a young kid that loves football and plays quarterback and you got a Hall of Famer and Kurt Warner, you know, spending an hour and a half, probably three times we probably had them all on together and just uh, – you know, that part is really meaningful. And, uh, you know, uh, the quarterback and the tight end came to me the other day. And like, we saw the Steeler game and Ben checked to a play call that we have. Hunt is, is our code word. And um, they're like, and then they ran the exact routes we're running. <laughs> so, Did you, you know, so you went back and looked at it and it checked out? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, they, they, you know, we're, I use a lot of that terminology. We're really running a pro style offense. We're huddling. Uh, using wristbands. Uh, so, you know, and in high school football, it, it's really not a common thing anymore, but I think it's been great for the development, especially the quarterbacks, you know, running a huddle, learning how to call a play. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we've had college guys get drafted that have never called a play in the huddle ever. It's crazy, I mean, right? Been in nothing but spread, no huddle, where the coaches are signaling from the sideline. Uh, you know, so that's always a huge learning curve for those young guys coming out of college. So I'm just excited. we got two quarterbacks that have a chance to – play down the road you know in college and uh and i think it's great for them yes you know that's interesting because i you know we have a former penguins coach uh, mike sullivan lives here in the town sure. that i live i'm up in massachusetts and he you know and, yeah, i'm a huge sure, pens guy yeah yeah and so they had so it's not my my kids my kids started playing hockey which is interesting because i never played at all and no, uh hockey yeah, and and it's just the commitment though as a parent's like crazy, you know what I mean? But uh, but yeah, like so Mike Sullivan, I think like he was helping coach one of the teams or something like that, and they put Sidney Crosby on one of the zooms, and I'm like, can you imagine that? Like as a kid, like like I like like I can't imagine what that would be like being like a ten year old or an eight year old or whatever it is, and all of a sudden, boom, there he is. You know what I mean? So that's pretty cool. You were able to do that with Kurt. 
Yeah, yeah, it's and Kurt's awesome, as you know. But uh, yeah, it's been it's a lot of fun. I mean, uh, I'm learning the high school game, you know, which has been a long time since even paid much attention at all. But uh, you know, this Friday nights down here in Florida, it's fun. Do you um do you are you think you're taking anything from it? Like like you know, presuming you you get back into the NFL at some point, like like do you take anything from coaching at that level that might be applicable or you kind of look at and you're like i hadn't thought of that like that might actually be useful for you going forward you know i don't know scheme wise necessarily but i know as a as a person you know you're always learning and 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 it is a you know you're dealing with much much younger kids um and i think it's just a a a chance to grow more as a as a person and a and a and a coach because you know, coaching's coaching, whatever you're doing. I don't, I don't, even if you're running a company, I mean, you're coaching uh, a bunch of employees uh, uh, and trying to push buttons and, and get the best and most out of them you can. Uh, you know, so it's just an opportunity to continue to grow, I think, for me. I mean, you know, I obviously love the NFL. I, we spend all Sunday and, and Monday and now Tuesday sometimes, <laughs> uh, you know, watching every game because I do do some of the Sirius XM, uh, you know, radio and, uh, you know, and, and it's been great just to look at it from the outside. And, uh, you know, when you're involved in it as long as I was, which was a long time, I mean, that, you know, like I said, 24, 25 years coaching and, and then time in the front office as a scout. Um, it's a lot of time, but to step away and really just kind of look at how everybody's doing things differently and, and, and learn from that has been great, too. Do you like, is there professional development stuff that you're doing then? Like just as far as like, whether it's looking at tape or talking to coaches or anything like that. that yeah. Like, yeah. I've talked to a lot of people, um, watch a lot of the, well, a lot of the tape. Um, and like I said, it's just, it's very, when you're coaching in the NFL, you really don't see the football like you do, you know, when you're not, right. uh, you know, because you're in a game, you know, obviously you'll watch a Monday night game or, and you're watching the tape, but uh, you're still not seeing the, you know, that's a sterile environment when you watch, you know, our NFL tape, a little different than, you know, watching it with commentators and fans. And, and you know, I think it's been a, a great growth opportunity for me and, and probably much needed. Okay. So one of the reasons I thought this was a good, good time to have you on is, um, a couple of your players have been in the news, a couple of guys who played for you and you, who you got a lot out of in Pittsburgh. Um, and on the first one I want to talk about is Antonio Brown. And, um, you know, obviously he's been through a lot the last two years, some of that self-inflicted and, um, you know, like the trade to Oakland and then winds up with new England and now he's suspended and he's going to be coming off the suspension. He signs with Tampa. If, if Bruce Arians or Tom Brady called you and asked you about, dealing with managing relating to Antonio Brown, how do you think you would answer them? Well, you know, Bruce was with him. He was just a special right. team player at that time. That's so true, I think yeah. that's a, that's a help, you know, that there, there is a relationship there. You know, I don't know what that relationship was at that time. I wasn't there. Uh, you know, Tom has uh, had to form some relationship with, with him right. that obviously impacted, you know, the bucks making this decision. Uh, but, you know, I love, Antonio. Um, you know, I can only speak about the time I was with him. We've stayed in touch, you know, uh, talk or text all the time. I'm very happy for him. But, you know, I, I, you know, the number one thing with Antonio is, is he has to trust you. You know, it came from a very difficult background. Like you said, some of the stuff has been self-inflicted, but, you know, he's a good person. Uh, he's a good teammate. 
he he is the hardest worker I've ever seen. You know, he, he wants to be the greatest. You know, I've really felt for him missing this time, but I think an opportunity for him to to grow also. But, um, you know, that work ethic that Tom obviously saw, um, you know, during their short time together, but it's it's unavoidable. I mean, when you see – when you're out there with A.B. and watch the pace he practices at, I mean, even in a walkthrough, we had to slow him down because he's going full speed um, – you know, but pr- never wants to come out of, uh, for in practice or games. I mean, he if if you pull him out for a play that you know is not going to him in practice, I mean, he's standing there, coach. Why are you taking me out? Why? Are you t-? I mean, he just <laughs> he wants to be in there. He wants to contribute. Uh, you know, and, and as long as everything he keeps the uh, the other part in order. I mean, he's an awesome teammate and somebody that uh, if you have his trust, and I think that. You know, in Pittsburgh, what why it was a great situation for him was, you know, he trusted me, he trusted Coach Tomlin, you know, and the and the guys around him, and and it was a and it you know there there's hiccups, but nothing ever football related, you know, as far as him. I mean, yeah, he's gonna get mad like any other receiver I've been around. The great ones, you know, they're mad if if the ball's not thrown to him. But uh, you know, I always respected that desire, uh, his desire to be try to be the greatest of all time. And he was on pace to do that, uh, you know, not too many years ago. Do you like, so I remember talking to you about this and I think the like, it was almost immediate that you like knew what you had with him. Right. And you, your background for people who don't know, huge part of Todd's background is coaching receivers, coach receivers with the jets, coach receivers with the Cowboys. Um, and I, and I remember like, if I remember right, like the comp you gave me was Terry Glenn, which was kind of eye opening at the time because he hadn't accomplished as much back then um what is it about him because he's not overly big like he's just like like, what is it about him that kind of sets him apart and what was it that you were able to identify so quickly in him yeah one of my first days in Pittsburgh uh you know it was off season obviously the players weren't in but I go down through the locker room to go to the to the gym or something and and there's this little AB and he comes up and you know gets a selfie with me and he's like Coach, I'm going to be the greatest there ever is. I'm looking at him and go, hey, B, you, you see how big you are? Uh, you know, I know you're not a blazer, but his desire, work ethic, he's got phenomenal – he's made himself into a phenomenal catcher. His ball skills are as good as, you know, right up there with Larry Fitzgerald, which allows him to play a lot bigger than his size. Um, and he just he, – he's extremely competitive. Uh, he never wants to lose in any drill, one-on-ones, whatever it is. Um, you know, he's, he's going at it 100%, uh, everything he does. And I just think his, the ball skills, his ability on the sideline to me was always amazing because, you know, you're really not looking at a very, I mean, five, nine, five, ten guy, uh, that plays much bigger than that. I wasn't used to, you know, that was where the Terry Glenn came from because, you know, similar builds, uh, Terry was faster than AB, but similar ball skills, uh, the ability to catch the ball with your feet still moving. I mean, his run after catch, you know, became really something uh, to speak of, you know, while we were there in Pittsburgh. And, you know, it's just – it's he's always there and he's always working. And if you have a guy like that, I mean, it's it's awesome. I mean, uh, you, you, you know he's going to be in there and you know he's going to be going full speed. And, and he wants to – he always wanted to get better, you know, whether it was talking to me or, or talking to other great players that we'd see in pregame. You know, he was always driving for one thing. It's really all he cares about. You know, I, I th- it's interesting you say that too because I wonder if that's the level. Like, 
the Brady uh, AB relationship, like as short a time as they were together, it seems like there was a connection there, and maybe that's what they connected over was how competitive the two of them are. And, and they're all uh, football all the time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so somebody I, like Tom, you know, I haven't been around Tom a bunch. I've seen him and had to coach against him too many times, but uh, he is all football all the time. And I think when you when when that's your nature and your makeup, uh, I think you appreciate and respect when you see somebody else that uh, really all they care about is football. Can you think of a good story of his competitiveness, of AB's competitiveness, like where it, whether it's a game, a practice, a meeting, whatever, like where it, where it really showed up? Uh, it it just was every day. You know, we yeah. we all Mike Tomlin and I always joked if if in a game, if if an official called him out of bounds and AB even looked at us, we knew he knew he was in bounds because he's the <laughs> best at dragging dragging that back foot and and staying in bounds. Um, you know, and I think he took great, great pride in it. Something we worked on every single practice with him and all the receivers, but you know, uh, things that he did are things that I t I'm teaching these high school kids, you yeah. know, about how to work the sidelines and how to attack the football. I, I, don't, I can't think of one instance. I mean, there's, there's, there's good and bad, uh, uh, <laughs> where his competitiveness came out. But like I said, I always respected and appreciated it because it was driven, it was coming from his desire to try to be the greatest. He's older now, and obviously he's not making the money he was. Where do you think he is mentally right now? Like, where do you think he is just as far as, like, what sort of mentality do you think he's going to take to the take to this? And, and I know, obviously, you know, you said he's got the relationship with him and everything else. Um, do you think it's possible that he does use this to relaunch his career? Maybe he does have more than just whatever's left of the Buck season um, left in him. Yeah, I sure hope so, um, because I know he's been like a pent-up tiger uh, for this amount of time, <laughs> not being able to do what he loves. Uh, you know, I think the situation was critical. You know, I, I really worried when he went to Oakland uh, whether that, you know, he could he could gain the trust and, and also trust all the different personalities that were out there. Um, I, I worried from the start. This one – I'm not worried. I, I think it's a it'll be a, a very good environment for for him to be in with some people that he knows a little bit and and understand and respect uh, his desire to to help him win. So um, I, I sure hope so. I know it's a it'll be a, a limited window of of games, but I think it it should be enough for him to uh, you know obviously if he still is capable of doing the things he that I know he can do, you know, I think it, it is a great opportunity for him to, you know, get back on track and, and get himself back on pace to try to be one of the better players in the league. Okay. I want to transition to Pittsburgh a little bit now, but I, like I got this question. I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but I just think it's the most interesting thing in the world. Um, that place is like a machine when it comes to directing, to developing receivers, right? Like you look at it and like over the years, um, I think Santonio Holmes is the last one they took in the first round. And then after that, you see like Antonio Brown, Mike Wallace, Emmanuel Sanders, Martavius Bryant, Juju Smith-Schuster. Now you see Chase Claypool, the kid from Notre Dame there now. Um, Deontay Johnson looks like he can play. Uh, and all of those guys, none of them was a fir no first round picks. Yeah. Right? Like They're able to pluck all these guys and develop them that way. Um, from your perspective, how, like, like what is that like it just seems like the craziest thing that they're able to do that like what do you think that is that they've been able to do that at that well, level for so long with a lot of positions but uh, yeah the receiver position probably gets the most uh, 
notoriety. Uh, you know, I think it starts, it's the reason they're good year in and year out in general, you know, the organization, uh, just the way that it's built, uh, you know, part of my father was a part of helping build that, you know, what they're still doing today. I, you know, Kevin Colbert, uh, and his ability to work with the coaches, you know, I think of anywhere I've been, that's probably the most input I've had as a as a coordinator, position coach. Uh, you know, when it comes down to the draft, uh, you know, they like Kevin does a great job of getting us as coaches to the right spots to or to see the right players. Uh, you know, and then there's just great interaction between the personnel department and the coaching staff, which, you know, I think, like I said, it's it's one of the reasons they're generally better than everybody else uh you know they do it the right way and and i think the receiver position you know number one you have been there uh that's mm-hmm. going to help any receiver group um but we they've done a terrific job of of finding the right kind of guys the right personalities to to come in there and have a chance to develop and then they let the coaches do their job and coach the heck out of them and because that is the name of the game in the NFL is developing those young guys and, and they can't all be first rounders, obviously. So you got to get the right guys in there. Claypool, man, looks like a beast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and Ben and he obviously have hit it off and, and that's as critical as anything to, to becoming a, a good receiver in the league is having that relationship with your quarterback. How does Ben look to you? Cause you coached him for a long time and you've, you know, you well, obviously he looks, he looks good. I mean, I'm, yeah. I can't say I'm surprised because he's, I've told you many times he's the most talented quarterback I've ever been around. Just physically, the arm, touch, vision, anticipation, and 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 while I was there, where he made the big jump was that he went away from the bend that everybody wanted to talk about. You know, the play didn't start until you know he he started to move around. Uh, you know, he he the light went on as far as the ball coming out quick, letting guys make plays for you. And he's continued to do that, and 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 I think it it will prolong his. You know, the elbow thing was kind of a freak thing that happens, but he's able to keep himself healthy and and stay out a lot of that uh, chaos of that holding the ball uh, gets you into. But he still is the best, maybe the best ever when it does happen. He still looks like you know he's in good shape and he's moving around. So you know, a little rusty to start, but I thought he's he's looked you know, really good. And, and like I said, he's developed a relationship with some of those young receivers that uh, helps a bunch. Yeah. You know what? Like the, the other thing like that, that's sort of interesting to me, is just sort of how, you know, like they, they've been able to reload now. And I think one of the issues, like when you were there, like they, they just struggled a little bit to build the defense back up. Right. Like, and so you guys had to score a lot in those years and like as the Palomalus and the Ryan Clarks and the James Farriers and the James Harrisons, as those guys started to kind of cycle out of the building, there just wasn't, I, I, maybe they were in like a little bit of a slump. Right. Mm -hmm. And now it feels like they're complete again. Right. Like with guys like TJ Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick. And I know Devin Bush is hurt. Um, but, and then, you know, the older guys like Hayward and to like this maybe is like complete a Steeler team as they've had in a long time there. Yeah, I, I got the short end of the stick, Albert. When I got there, yeah, they were dropping fast. I mean, Troy was there for a year, I think. Uh, you know, Kiesel had retired or retired during that time. You know, a lot of those that I didn't get that that steel curtain defense that uh, I'd been competing against for the years in the Super Bowl, you know, and, and those things. So, but you knew, you know, when T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree, uh, when those young guys started coming in, uh, you, you know, they weren't 
ready for prime time necessarily my last couple of years, but you, you know, they were moving and trending in the right direction. You know, I think Joe Hayden was a huge uh, pickup for, for Pittsburgh and has really helped solidify the, the back end along with Fitzpatrick, who's obviously a game changer. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're defense. You don't have to do. And, and I think that's the way they're playing on offense. You know, you haven't seen the gaudy numbers that, like you said, by necessity, we knew going into, you know, Mike and I would have the every, same conversation every Friday. I'd say, how many points we need to score? And, and he'd be pretty honest and forthcoming. He didn't, you know, he'd say, I think we're going to need 30 plus this week. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's very honest and open about it. So we had to, we had to get the ball up and down the field and score a bunch of points. We knew we were going to have to, and, and, uh, and obviously now you don't have to do all that, you know, protect right. football. Don't throw it to the other team. Don't turn it over and, and let your defense play and, and score points when you, you get good opportunities. And I think they're, that's the way they're playing. And, and, and I think that gives them a very good chance. The one thing I want to ask you about this too, that I think think sort of interesting. So I've always thought like, you know, you guys had a lot of personalities on those teams, right? Like, so, you know, obviously, you know, Bell and Brown and Ben and, you know, Martavius Bryant, like you guys had like just a lot of, a lot of guys that was just kind of like their own guys, even like a pouncy, right? And so like, I've always felt like, because like, because Mike is the leader that he is, they're able to kind of cast a wider net, maybe take some more chances, right? Like that some other teams can't on personalities, like I almost like I, I want to ask you about this because I think you'd be able to give me like unique perspective on it. So they're the only undefeated team right now. This is the year of COVID. We got the election going on. There's just like a lot of things that are kind of there's a lot of noise out there that players are having to manage and kind of compartmentalize. In a way, do you think like the Steelers are at an advantage this year, and that like maybe Mike is more qualified to handle that stuff? than most other coaches are. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause everybody's dealing with this, right? Like everybody's dealing with everything that's going on in 2020. Maybe the Steelers have an advantage in that, you know, Mike gives them that in this environment. Yeah. Mike, Mike is awesome. Um, you know, I've talked to him a couple of times, talked to Kevin Colbert back before the season started. And, um, you know, I could just the little clips I was hearing from either one of them talking about it. Uh, you know, I think they just generally say and, and handle things the right way, uh, you know, and that's why they're great leaders. Uh, but Mike is, you know, as smart a person as I've ever been around. And, and I learned so much from him just in dealing with some of those personalities, maybe in a different way than me who had worked for Bill Parcells for eight years. Now he's one of the greatest ever also, but just did it a different way. And I think Mike, uh, he does a t- tremendous job getting to know the the players families you know whether it's their moms grandmas dads whoever it is uh you know, having them into the building and i think that creates a lot of trust uh you know when the players know know you care enough to have you know fly their mom or dad in or both of them in uh to spend a day and get to know them and 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 learn a little bit more about the the players themselves from from the source so um you know i think all those things play a big role you know I said going into the season the teams that didn't have a lot of turnover that had you know strong sound organization you know were strong and sound organizationally definitely have had an advantage you know with with how the offseason went and and how the season's going so 
you know, I just – so a team like the Steelers, to me, uh, you know, I thought going into this year they had a chance to be very good. I knew their defense was going to continue to get better. They're getting Ben back, obviously. And if, if he could still play the way that he's capable, you know, they they have a very good chance. But it always starts up, up top, uh, Albert, you know, whether it's the Roonies, you know, mm-hmm. Kevin and, and Mike. I mean, that's as strong of a leadership group as you could have. Okay, another one of your former teams is a contender too, and they just acquired another one of your former players in Le'Veon Bell. Um, where do you think that one goes? Like, where do you think? Like, like, how do you think? How do you think Le'Veon handles this? Like, just same as AB, different situation. They bought low on him there. Um, how do you think he fits what Andy's doing there? And how do you think he's going to handle this now? Obviously, like I think in probably the lowest point of his NFL career. Yeah, um, I think, again, where he ended up was a huge, huge positive for Le'Veon. Uh, yeah. You know, some of his stuff was self-inflicted, not in Pittsburgh, other than, you know, it was a, a business thing for him, you know, the holdout and those things. But, you know, great teammate, very smart, loves football. You know, and I was I was very frustrated for him in New York. You know, I, I felt like that was a bad spot for him to go. Uh, because he is a unique talent. And as you said, you know, we had them all, you know, when I was the coordinator. And when you when you have players with the special ability that they have, you've got to make them feel and trust that you're giving them an opportunity to to be their be-, be the best they can be. And with Le'Veon, you know, loved him. You know, we were so excited to get him drafted. Uh, but, you know, he, he he's a guy we – some of the things we did to – I don't want to say keep him happy, but what players appreciate is, you know, we had a package where he was a wide receiver, right. uh, you know, so he split out as a, as a Z receiver in the run game. D'Angelo Williams, we're handing it off to him. He's blocking for uh, D will, but we also had, spe- you know, he's running comebacks and ends like receiver routes. He's, he's got that kind of ability. So, you know, the frustration for me watching him in New York is, you know, I just didn't, I'm cringing saying they're just lining this guy up in the eye and they're not utilizing, you know, and I'm not being trying to be overly critical, but you know, you're not using the ability that this kid has because he's not just a running back. I mean, what did he catch for us? 89, 90 balls a couple different times. So, uh, you know, and you are dealing, you know, you got to do the same thing with AB. You got to do the same thing with Ben and you got to, you know, and, and down the line, you know, a lesser of that, but your best players, you better, I don't know what this came on. Your best players, you, you better, they better believe and trust that you're maximizing their abilities. And, and, and those are, I think in Kansas city, uh, uh, what I've seen from those coaches is, is they do that, you know, and they got a lot right. of, a lot of mouths to feed, but uh, they've been one of the better teams at utilizing the the different talents that they have. And I think, you know, Andy Reid and 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 the staff will will understand and see what they have in Le'Veon and and do the things necessary to let him help you. It's just like part of the trust thing, then, right? Like it goes back to like trusting him. Like you talked about Mike bringing the families into trust, and well, they also have to trust that you've got their best interests in mind and that you're going to try to get the most out of them, whether it works or not. Right. And the players don't miss anything. So that's yeah. what I'm saying, you know, a Le'Veon, he'd be all charged up, excited. I, you know, I'd catch him first thing in the morning when he came in after we game plan. And I'd say, Le'Veon, listen, we're doing this with you. We're doing this. You're going to be excited about it. And, and players, they, they, they can see through the, the fraudulent talk, you know, yeah. <laughs> you, you better be, 
talking to them straight, and then you better back it up with, you know, when they every player is every good player is the same. They game plan book, they get it. They're flipping right to what that what plays might uh, be for them. Okay, um, before I get you out of here, I do want to I want to ask you about this because I think it's just an interesting thing, um, you know. And and the the Hall of Fame is obviously uh, the greatest honor a coach, a scout, a player um, can get in pro football. And it does feel to me, Todd, like, you know, like the door's been open to uh, personnel men a little bit more the last few years with the contributor category. And so, you know, we've, you know, we've heard about, you know, this person or that person potentially getting in. And for, for those out there who don't know, uh, Todd's dad, Dick Haley, was um, one of the architects, the architect, I guess, of those great Steelers teams in the 70s. And so... I wanted to ask you about that, like just kind of like, you know, and I think I even think of like a John McVay. Those who don't know that Sean McVay's grandfather built the Niners in the in the 80s that, that Bill Walsh coached all those titles. So I'm just kind of like wondering, um, you know, kind of like how you view that, like in how, you know, maybe there's an opportunity here for your dad to to get the honor that maybe like like maybe he deserved all along. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing it up because it's uh, uh, near and dear to my heart, and 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 I'm obviously biased. It's my father, but you yeah. know, I got to grow up in, in that era. You know, hanging around Three River Stadium and Latrobe, and and watching some of the greatest of all time uh, go about their business and and win a lot of games. Um, you know, even though I'm biased, you know, I've heard from enough people. You know. Coach Parcells has gone on record a number of times saying he's the best personnel guy he's ever been around. Um, you know, he, he, he's not an ego guy. He's never anybody that ever talked about himself. He, he, he gave credit to everybody else, even to a point of a young kid like me being frustrated, you know, dad, why aren't, <laughs> why, why won't you do this sports illustrated article? You know, and he goes, no, yeah. that's not for me, you know, call so-and-so and, and, and ask them about the drafts. But just a, a, a no ego guy, a guy that, you know, having been a head coach in the league, you know, any, any head coach would give anything to work with somebody like, like that, that uh, puts that all ego aside. And really his, his sole purpose was to evaluate players and, and tied in with the coaches and what type of players they wanted, not just who he liked or wanted. And, and I think that's the way it works. And, you know, he's got four Super Bowl rings. He's drafted or been a part of drafting, I don't know, 12 or 13 hall of famers, um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and those two things together, I don't know that there's anybody that can match, can match that, you know, and again, not disrespecting anybody that's gone into the hall of fame. They're all great people and been part of success, but I don't, I don't know that anybody was more successful than that, uh, that group of Pittsburgh Steelers during that, uh, you know, the, the seventies. Yeah. And it's like, so like, and again, for people who out there who don't know, like like this is like we talked about Kevin Colbert and um, and Mike Tomlin, right? Like that partnership, like that was basically Chuck Knoll and Dick Haley back in the day, right? And it's just weird. It's interesting to me, like that those, like again, like a Dick Haley, a John McVay, like those names, like maybe weren't like for one reason or another weren't as big a deal back then, right? Like like yeah. people didn't talk about the general manager maybe as much back then. And so maybe that's part of the reason why those guys didn't get as much credit for what they did in those years. And they didn't do much talking either. You know, it's yeah. not anywhere like the way it is now. Um, you know, I just, again, I appreciate you bringing it up and, 
And if you look in the Hall of Fame and, and how many Steelers or Steeler parts of the organization that are in the Hall of Fame from that time, and then you're talking about the guy that was the, the head of that entire department. So, you know, I think very justified and and being talked about. And uh, like I said, I'm biased, so I can't be the one uh, thumping for him all the time. But uh, I do I do think it 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 deserves some discussion. Okay, great. Um, last thing before I get you out of here, then, what do you what do you hope happens with your career over the next few years? Like, do you do you want to get back into the NFL? And and if you do, like, what do you think? What what do you think you offer a team at this point? I think, you know, I've been successful really everywhere that I've been. Um, you know, the the Cleveland thing obviously didn't go the way that I wanted it to go, but uh, it is what it is. Um, but everywhere out, you know, I, I went to a Arizona Cardinal team as a coordinator that had never, you know, been in one playoff game. And, and we were able to figure out a way to get Kurt Warner going and, and, and Larry, Larry's game elevated to a, to a, to as good as you can get during that period of time. And I mean, we're a couple minutes from winning a Super Bowl with Arizona. You know, the Chiefs had been bad mm-hmm. for a very long time. I'm very proud of, uh, especially my second year there, taking a, a a bad team that hadn't won very many games and, and win a division. And we didn't necessarily have a marquee or elite quarterback. We led the league in rushing, led the league in passing in Arizona, Pittsburgh. We were always, you know, around the top five. Um you know, and just guys that I've coached that have always generally had their best years uh, at, at their positions. You know, whether I was a position coach, coordinator, or head coach. I mean, Dwayne Bowe scored fourteen or fifteen touchdowns. You know, yeah. and 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 had his best years while I was there, and then kind of disappeared off the map. But uh, um, you know, yeah, I would I would love in the right situation to to be in the NFL. It's 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 in my blood. It's it's what I love to do. And, and I think I've grown a bunch during this time. You know, I grew a bunch of my six years in Pittsburgh, you know, learning a new, you know, some different ways to, to go about your business. And, uh, you know, it just, it just would have to be the right situation. You know, I've considered even, you know, the, uh, the scouting side of it, which I, I, you know, haven't grown up learning how to scout. Well, that's that's definitely I, in your blood, right? I, <laughs> yeah. I started in the NFL and, and, uh, you know, now you add 20 plus years of coaching experience along with that. I mean, I, I know I can contribute and, and, and help find really good players, but uh, we'll see, you know, this has been a great time for me. Like I said, you know, I got, mm-hmm. you know, with the big family, it's just been priceless time. I've been able to spend with my wife and kids and, and just live normally for a little bit. So we'll see. Totally forgot to ask you too about Baker. So, <laughs> are you encouraged by what you saw from him on on Sunday? Yeah, that was a good bounce back. I mean, that was yeah. important because uh, you know hadn't played very well the week before and was able to to move the football up and down the field. It's too bad losing uh, uh, Odell, uh, but they you know they got a lot of good young players. All right, he's Todd Haley, former Chiefs head coach, former Steelers offensive coordinator, former Cardinals offensive coordinator. Todd, always great catching up with you. Appreciate you coming out. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, Albert. Glad to see you're doing well. All right, thanks to Todd. That was fantastic. And we're going to bring Fabs in right now. Um, this, this is our DraftKings segment. We're going to get to his DFS picks. We're going to get to his fantasy picks for week eight. Again, I can't believe we're already there. 
But I kind of want to piggyback on something that I talked about with Todd there, and that's Fab's Antonio Brown. Um, you know, we just had a long discussion with Todd Haley about about Antonio Brown and, and what he can bring to the table. And so, obviously, another piece to this is going to be um, what he does from a fantasy standpoint, what he does from a DFS standpoint. So, um, just give us an idea right off the top before we get to your picks. How, if you're a fantasy owner, if you're a DFS player, you're approaching the Antonio Brown situation? Well, first off, he's got to be owned across the board. Once it broke that he was going to be signing with Tampa Bay, I'm sure everyone just rushed to their computer or <laughs> iPhone or whatever device and picked him up in their leagues. And, and that was a smart move. So I feel like the biggest winner here is going to be Tom Brady. And that's obvious because he's got a ridiculous cast of characters at the wide receiver position. The big loser, I feel like, could be Mike Evans, right? And Mike Evans mm-hmm. has not been putting up good numbers lately. I play him this week against the Giants because Chris Godwin is out. But Antonio Brown, in a best-case scenario, could be a league winner, Albert. I yeah. mean, Godwin has not been able to avoid injuries all season long. He's been in and out of the lineup. And if that sort of thing continues, Evans has been dealing with an ankle all season. Those kind of things could open up even more opportunities for Antonio Brown. We know he's got the rapport with Tom Brady. They're obviously boys, right? They know each other from that short time in New England. And clearly, Tom Brady brought in Antonio Brown because, well, uh, he's he's Tom Brady, right? Yep. So I feel like once A.B. is in the mix and everyone's healthy, Evans is going to take a hit. Gronkowski's targets will probably take a hit as well. Gronkowski's been very good uh, over the last three weeks. But A.B. is going to come in and potentially be a flex starter in what's going to be a ridiculously <laughs> – high-scoring, explosive, talented offense. And the schedule for the Buccaneers down the stretch, including the fantasy playoffs, is really favorable. So Tom Brady, at 43 years old, is, number one, the best fantasy player at his position or any position at that age. You don't see too many 43-year-old players outside of the quarterback position. But he is putting up phenomenal numbers, four touchdowns last week. He got Giants this week. Brady could end up being a league winner too. And he's somebody that you drafted probably very late as a borderline QB one. So like, and I think they would like sort of create the same issue that you had with Brady in new England, which was he spreads the ball around so well Mm -hmm. that guys are going to disappear from week to week. Yeah, that's going to happen. And you would think Evans, as I mentioned, would be the, the biggest loser, I guess, in this situation. And Evans hasn't done much lately. As I did say a little bit earlier on, Uh, he is, He has kind of been phased out a little bit in terms of that target share in Tampa Bay. And honestly, looking back at the games, Albert, he's had some games where he wasn't targeted a whole lot except for down inside the five-yard line. Remember, he had that one game where he had the the two catches for like three yards and two touchdowns. That's sort of where he's had his value. He's not getting you a ton in terms of catches or yards. And with A.B., that's going to continue. Okay, let's jump in now to all of your picks for the week. We'll start as we usually do with your DFS. Or no, we start. We'll start. Yeah, we'll start with your DFS buys and fades presented by DraftKings for Week Eight Fabs. All right, so we'll start off with the bargains. Baker Mayfield. I'm not a big fan. Like five touchdowns. Albert, how, how is it that he has his best game when Odell Beckham Jr. is not? basically in the lineup. I mean, yeah. those guys just don't have a rapport, didn't have a rapport. I'm not saying Baker's going to be better without OBJ, but this week the matchup's right against the Raiders. So uh, you could plug him in. And speaking of the Raiders, Derek Carr's been pretty good. 
He's at $5,500. He's playing the Browns, obviously, this week. Carr's been very underrated from a fantasy perspective. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo going up against the Seahawks is pretty cheap as well. There's a lot of revenge games this week, Albert. Melvin Gordon, revenge game against the Chargers, right? And there if Philip Lindsay can't go, Gordon's going to be the featured back. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, big-time revenge game against the Jets. I could see a scenario. And, and what, did Kansas City open as like a 20.5-point favorite this week? I mean, it's crazy. I could see a scenario where the Kansas City Chiefs are boat racing the Jets. In the second half, they're up whatever it is, you know, 20, 30 points. And Andy Reid whispers to Le'Veon Bell, go get him, brother. <laughs> and he just gives him like a ton of touches in the second half, and Bell goes crazy, and the Jets stick against the run anyways. So Le'Veon is a sneaky play at $4,600. So is Zach Moss against the Patriots at $4,400. A player that I love, I love this week, Brandon Ayuk. The Seahawks are giving up more fantasy points to wide receivers than any team in the league. 60-plus a game. It's crazy. No other team is giving up even 49 a game, and Debo Samuel is out. I like Corey Davis at $5,100 against the Bengals, and then Rashard Higgins, who will replace OBJ at $4,200 against the Raiders at tight end. Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, and Harrison Bryant, who I liked last week, is a very good bargain this week with uh, Austin Hooper still out after that appendectomy. Some players to fade this week in DraftKings. Ben Roethlisberger's got a tough matchup at $6,500 against the Ravens. Uh, I'd fade Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford as well. Uh, David Montgomery, despite the fact that he's getting touches, he's not doing anything with him. He's averaging fewer than four yards a carry. He's averaging 0.77 fantasy points per touch. And uh, Albert, you may not know this. That's not very good. Uh, <laughs> Jarek McKinnon disappeared last week. He's a fade for me. Uh, so is Devontae Parker against Jalen Ramsey, Cooper Cup against the Dolphins. Noah Fant last week did not look right. Still not 100%. And Albert O got a bunch of targets. I still can't pronounce his last name. No, Jared I was going to be that way for a while. For Jared Cook is while, also but. a fade for me. And Robert Tunyon was no Funyon to play last week in fantasy. I would fade him against the Vikings. Okay. Uh, I really, the one that interests me there was Ayuk because I just like, you, you see it like every week. There's like a little something that he he's shows a good you. Player, man. He's going to be, good. I mean, like you think about like where they're at at receiver going forward there too with the combination of Debo and Ayuk. Like, man, the Niners have, I'll say this, like for the amount of people that they've got hurt, and it's a lot mm -hmm. uh, playing without Jimmy Ward and Richard Sherman and Nick Bosa and D. Ford and you know on the offensive side obviously Jordan Reed they've been in and out with you know Kittle and their receiver their whole God. backfield's all banged up. I know and that's the thing is like like that that team I mean they like the depth and everything else like that organization has it going on right now yep. all right as everybody here who listens to the podcast knows we are talking to the original author of the original Stardom Sidem column uh, twenty years running now Fabs. Your stardom sit em column. It is up at SI.com for the week. What can people look for there? Well, I'll give you some of my top starts and sits of the week at quarterback Tom Brady. We just talked about him. He is going to be an absolute stat sheet stuffer this week against the Giants. And I always feel like anytime Brady plays the Giants, he's like a little more motivated. It's yep. not like a traditional revenge game, but he's like, yeah, you guys beat me in the Super Bowl twice. I'm coming after you. Carson Wentz, start all your Eagles. All of them, okay? Mike Quick, <laughs> Harold Carmichael, Wilbur Montgomery, start them all, all right? If you don't know who I'm talking about, go back and look at the 70s and 80s. But Wentz is a very good play. Justin Herbert's been so – he's been unbelievable. This kid has put up almost 40 fantasy points last week. He's the QB4 since he took over the job in Los Angeles. Start him. Teddy Bridgewater on Thursday night, also a good play at running back. 
Talking about the Thursday night game, start Todd Gurley against the Carolina Panthers. Boston Scott against the Cowboys. Melvin Gordon, Daryl Henderson's also a good play, and I like Le'Veon Bell for that revenge factor. At wide receiver, Tyler Boyd, told you to start him last week. Nearly 30 fantasy points, start him against the Titans. Robbie Anderson, Travis Fulgham, notice the trend against the Cowboys. We talked about Ayuk and then Jarvis Landry. We'll see more targets. OBJ out, he's got a good matchup. I'm starting John o. Smith despite the stinker last week. Jimmy Graham, another revenge game, Albert. Rob Gronkowski's been great. And Richard Rodgers against the Cowboys. That is a trend that will continue all season long. And the Cowboys are even trading defensive players now. I don't know what's going on with that team. They are not tanking for Trevor, but they're tanking without question. At the quarterback position, players to sit. Cam Newton, can't trust him. Three picks last week, got benched. Drew Brees, I was dead wrong about Brees last week. Without Michael Thomas, without Emmanuel, still had a good game. But he's got the Bears this week. Uh, Matthew Stafford's a tough matchup against the Colts. Ben Roethlisberger against the Ravens is a tough one as well. At running back, David Montgomery, Devin Singletary, Miles Gaskin, all fades for me. Although some of those guys you're going to have to probably flex with four teams on a bye. Amari Cooper is a sit for me this week, Albert. Not only mm-hmm. Cowboys have no offensive line. Not only do we have to start Ben DiNucci, and I say we because I'm a <laughs> Cowboys fan, or even if it's Dalton, it doesn't matter, but Cooper's got to play Darius Slay this week. I want nothing to do with Amari Cooper if I can help it. Uh, Darius Slayton's a fade for me. So is Devontae Parker. Julian Edelman should be cut at this point. And then T.Y. Hilton as well. Uh, tight ends to sit. Evan Ingram's got a bad matchup against Tampa Bay. He leads all tight ends in drops. That's not good. Eric Ebron also a fade. Gerald Everett, even if Tyler Higby is out, I would fade. And then Greg Olson against the Niners. The Cowboys, Albert, this team has gone from one of the most fantasy-friendly teams right, with Dak and Zeke and Coop and CeeDee Lamb and even Dalton Schultz getting in the mix from time to time to one of the least friendly, except for if you're playing against them, which is, it's sad because I'm a Cowboys fan and it, it's unbelievably uh, depressing how, how poorly this team has played. And I wonder how long Mike McCarthy will last in Dallas. But this is a team right now that you are targeting in the fantasy matchups, just like the Atlanta Falcons, for example, their defense has been terrible. Just like Seattle, their defense has been terrible. But the Cowboys are a great matchup for whoever is facing them. All right. That's why he's the best. Love the fast info there. And he's cutting Julian Edelman. That was one little nugget in there that I noticed, Fabs, that you weren't going to slip by me. That's now, very... they're, they're throwing the ball, what, at the at the third fewest rate in the in the league right now. Cam's not averaging 190 passing yards per game. I don't know what's wrong with him. It, it's so crazy that he went from looking so great in the first few weeks to doing a complete 180 and going back to Clark Kent. And so, listen, man, if Brandon Ayuk's out there, I'm cutting Julian Edelman. If T. Higgins is out there, I'm cutting Julian Edelman. If I need a running back this week and maybe Jermichael Hasty is out there, I'm cutting Julian Edelman. He, he's got to feel sick. Looking at all the talent that Brady's got in Tampa right now, he gets his boy Antonio Brown onto the roster, and Edelman's up in New England thinking, "What did I do wrong, Tom?" Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know that. I don't know that old Jules would be making the team in Tampa right now. Some <laughs> what they true. have at the what they have at receiver. Fabs, you're the best. I appreciate you coming out. Thanks, Albert. All right, thanks to Gresh, thanks to Fabs, thanks to Todd Haley. Great show this week. We're going to wrap it up the same way we always do with the six-pack. You guys know how that works. Every week on Tuesday, I put the call out for questions on Twitter. 
Some I will answer in the mailbag, which you guys can check out at the MMQB.com. And then I pick six very special ones to answer right here on the podcast. You get a like on Twitter too um, when I pick yours. Question number one this week is from underscore 1717 at Philly Spencer 17. Is there any way Adam Gase is the Jets coach next year? Well, you never say never. And if he somehow gets them close to 500, you know, maybe we're talking about something else. But I'm looking at the Jets' schedule right now. They sit at 0-7. They have the Chiefs this week. That's a loss. They have the Patriots the week after that. They're by. Then the Chargers, the Dolphins, the Raiders, the Seahawks, the Rams, the Browns, and the Patriots again. I have a hard time finding a win there. <laughs> I don't think they're going to go 0-16. But it's really hard looking at that schedule to say, yep, that's where they're going to pick it up. And so, you know, I think that they probably finish somewhere in the 2 and 14, 3 and 13 range at best. And if they finish there, I think Adam Gase is gone. Um, I think there's a chance, of course, that Sam Darnold's gone, which we'll get to in a second. So uh, the answer is yes, like that, that there is a way for Adam Gase to keep his job. Do I think it's going to happen? No. Question number two from Shedrick Carter that's at Shedrick Carter 2. What players could we see on the move in the next week? Shedrick, like we said, as we spoke about with Gresh, like I don't think that there are going to be any gigantic names out there. Uh, but, you know, there are some pieces available. The Giants are ready to sell. Um, Kevin Zeitler, Golden Tate, those are a couple names that will be on the market. Olivier Vernon is one other name I heard. Um, in Cleveland, he could be on the market. Philly, Minnesota, those guys are sellers now. So it could be a guy like Kyle Rudolph in, in Minnesota. Could also be guys further down the line like a Pat Elfline or a Tajay Sharp. Philly, I think, will, would, would be happy to shed some salary based on where they are right now. Alshon Jeffrey has been available for quite some time. So there are some names out there. How many get moved? I, I think you know, you're know you going to see teams motivated to sell because of the salary cap being where it's going to be next year. Um, and I think because of that, it makes it a little more difficult to be a buyer too. Question number three from Tom Marshall. That's at Red Zonak. Could Sam Darnold go the same way as Josh Rosen? Well, Tom, I, I don't think um, that that's a fair comparison. Josh Rosen really didn't make it past year one um, as an NFL quarterback. Didn't show a lot in year two in Miami. Winds up getting cut in year three, and now he's on Tampa's practice squad. So, like, I think Sam's already way beyond that point. But do I think that this could send his career, what's happening now, into a tailspin? Sure. The Jets made a massive investment in him. They traded up three second round pick. They traded three second round picks and the sixth overall pick to get the third pick and draft him um, in 2018. They have an investment in trying to to get it right for him, to make everything right around him, to get him right. So for the last three years, everything's been based on building around him. If they get the first overall pick and they wind up drafting Trevor Lawrence, he by definition is going to go to a team that has got a lot less invested in him. And so whether that's somebody like the Steelers that plugs him in as the eventual successor to, to Ben Roethlisberger, whether you know it's a team that wants to take multiple shots on young quarterbacks, like say like a Washington, wherever it winds up being, that team by definition is going to be taking more of a flyer on him than making a true investment on him. And so I do think that his career is in a very precarious position right now because of that sort of investment equation. But he's already way beyond the point where Sam, where Josh Rosen was. 
Um, and it has been and now is. Question number four from Ray. That's at BlackBot Community Manager at BB Ray Ray One. Herbert and Burrow have had pretty good returns so far this season. Do you see the same type of thing happening for Tua? Also, has any quarterback lost his job more than Tyrod Taylor? Well, I will say this about Tyrod. Uh, one of the reasons why Tyrod is going to continue to get work um, and, you know, we saw it in Cleveland. We've seen it now in L.A. He's considered the type of guy that's good for your young quarterback. So if you look over the years, you see guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick and guys like Josh McCown in that category. Good guy, good locker room guy, good for your young quarterback. He's the sort of guy you want to have around as you're building. And so like Tyrod Taylor, based on how he's handled this situation, based on how he handled the Baker Mayfield situation in Cleveland in 2018, uh, has actually, I, I think, really helped himself from a career standpoint. I don't think he's ever going to be the long-term starter for every for anybody ever again. It happened for him once in Buffalo, but you know, I think as that placeholder, as the guy that you're playing while you're getting your rookie ready, as the guy who's sort of you know the 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 resource for your rookie that he needs um, when you do draft a guy at that position in the first round. Like to me, like Tyrod Taylor is all of that. So I think like what we've seen with Tyrod Taylor is that you know he's going to have value going forward in the NFL as one of these guys that can be sort of your placeholder. And as both Fitzpatrick and McCown can tell you, there are millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in, in being that guy. Question number five from Lee, that's at USC Lee HU. The Patriots have had arguably the worst group of skill position players in the league. I know Bill has tried to trade for wide receivers in recent years, but why do they have so much difficulty drafting wide receivers? They don't draft that many receivers either, which is another issue, especially when compared to the Steelers. Lee, you're right. They've had, they have had trouble at that position. One thing that's interesting that somebody pointed out to me once is that the further you get away from the ball, the more difficulty they've had drafting players, which I think is sort of an interesting thing when you look at how well they've drafted over the years on the defensive line, on the offensive line, at linebacker, even a quarterback, you get further away from the ball. They've had some more issues. Um, I think a huge part of it is the complexity of their offense and that because they, for so many years, were so specific in what they want to do offensively and were so complex in the amount that they were putting on every offensive player, they wind up eliminating a lot of guys um, before you even get to the point where it's like, okay, like these are the guys we're drafting in the in, in April, um, you know, and that's obviously a step before like before actually getting the guys. And so, I think that that's going to be an interesting like point of evolution for the program now and where it goes is that for so many years they were looking for receivers that fit Brady and you needed a certain guy to do that it's very difficult to play in that offense we've seen Brady tune out guys in the past and so yeah I think for that reason it became more difficult for them to scout receivers and I think they were eliminating more young guys especially with how simple some of the offenses have gotten at the college level um, because college coaches are looking to win too. So they do things to try to get their guys productive and playing as fast as possible, especially the really talented guys who are going to wind up in the NFL. Um, so to me, it's like, you know, I think a huge part of it is what are you doing to get your guys ready to go? Uh, finally, question number six from our friend, not who you think I am at Don Ridnour. Why does no one keep Bill Callahan around when he is such a great offensive line slash run game coach? Great question. I can give you the exact reason why this why he's moved around so much. It's because he is in demand. It's because he is he has constantly had a market for his services. And when you have a market for your services, sometimes the best thing for you to do 
is to sort of stay nimble, stay loose, be willing to be on the move. And so if we look at his history, and I'm going to look at the last 10 years, really, this is going to be going back to, if you look at it, hang on a second here. If you look at it, this goes back to 2008. So this is after he went, after he was fired in Nebraska um, in 2007. 08 goes to the Jets, assistant head coach, offensive line coach. One of the best run games in football. The job he did with the Jets winds up affording him the chance to be the offensive coordinator in Dallas from 2012 to 2014, where he builds one of the best offensive lines in football. Problem there was the offense in general hadn't performed at the level that they believed they should have been at. So he wound up ceding play calling duties to Scott Linehan. So because that happened, he decided, okay, I'm going to move on. Lots of, uh, lots of, you know, demand for his services at that point when he decides to move on from the Cowboys. The Redskins wind up paying him top dollar to come there, fix their offensive line. He eventually becomes the assistant head coach there. He spends five years there. And then he's part of the staff that gets fired after he was the interim coach um, in, in Washington. And that made him a free agent this past off season in 2020. So he's been on the move so much over the last 12 years because there's been a demand for his services. So that means he's gotten promotions in some places. And then in other places, he's been parts of staffs that have, have been let go. And so um, I think it's pretty logical when you look at like some of the movement there. One of the best assistant coaches in all football, no question about it. And a huge reason why the Cleveland Browns have found a way to get their crap together. Can't believe they're 5-2 and two right now. Great job being done by Kevin Stefanski and his staff there. Always appreciate all of you guys coming out. As always, want your feedback to try and make the show better. And hopefully, you know, over the next few weeks, we're going to find ways to add different elements to the feed. That's my goal anyway. So any suggestions you guys have, my inbox is open when it comes to that stuff. And you you guys know where to get to me on my social media, at Albert Breer on Twitter, at Albert R. Breer on Facebook, at Albert underscore Breer on Instagram. And you can also help us by leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I can't tell you exactly why that helps, but it does help. I know that. So rate and review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. And always remember to listen to all of the MMQB shows. We are on three different feeds now. You've got Jenny and Connor's show, the Weekside Podcast. You've got Gary's show and the Gambling Show on the MMQB Podcast. And then, of course, our podcast, the Albert Breer Show. You can find us. You can find all those guys on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. Wherever you guys get your shows, we're there. Same time next week. We'll see you guys then. <laughs>